Uh, glad everyone's doing well. Um, we're going to continue tonight in our series, Small Book, Big Ideas, Knowing What We Need to Know, as we study through the book of First John. And now, just a little recap on where we've been. We've been in chapter 3. Uh, we're going to get towards the end of it today. Last week, Pastor Paul, our district superintendent, did an amazing job talking to us about loving one another, avoiding hate, avoiding anger. It, was, it wasn't a light message. It, it had some heavy stuff to it. And uh, today we're going to continue on. So if you like to find your place in your Bible, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, we'll get there in a moment. But let me start off by asking you this. Do you ever doubt? We're going to be really light tonight again too, okay? Do you ever doubt? Do you ever question yourself on things? Anyone? I think at times we all do this from time to time. Now, it can range from like, you know, big doubts to smaller and simpler doubts. See, we all have small and simpler doubts from time to time. How many of you know this story, okay? You left your house, you pulled out of your driveway, you're probably around the block by this point, and then the person with you asks you the question, did you unplug your straightener? Or did you unplug the iron? Anyone? And just because they asked you that, you know you did it, right? But sometimes we turn around, we go back, and we check. Are you one of those people who would turn around, go back, and check these things? I, I, I'm one of those people. It's like, don't even ask the question, okay? Just trust me, and we'll see what happens when we get home, right? Um, maybe you ask the question, did we set the alarm, right? Uh, maybe you have a home security device, and you, you leave, and so you ask the question, well, did we set that? Did we make sure it was okay? And some of these minor doubts, I think, from time to time can drive us a little bit crazy, if we're honest as you drive back to check on something, right? That, you know, getting clarity on something that you, you, you were probably pretty sure of. But there are also other times in our life when doubt isn't so simple and doubt isn't so small, but it's rather big. And we've all probably experienced at some point big doubts. Now let me turn this towards our faith. Let me turn this towards Jesus. Let me turn this towards living our lives out as a Christian. Have you ever had a big doubt before? Have you ever asked the question, am I a Christian? Maybe you thought you were and you found yourself in a tough situation. Maybe you, you, you felt like you walked away or maybe you felt like you were just going through something where you just didn't have clarity on that. And you asked the question, could God really love, can God really accept me? After all I've done, after all I've done to mess up, after everything I've done, all the sin, etc., etc., could God really love and accept me? Those aren't little doubts. Those are big doubts. Those are uh, times where we kind of question our identity, where we kind of question perhaps where we stand before him. And I'm going to discuss this more in just a few moments, but for now, let's look at our main text today. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. It says this. It says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, <clears throat> we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. 
And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Interesting way for John to start writing there. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. You see, when John was writing this to the church at the time, there was a Gnostic influence, as we've talked about. There was a group of people who were, you know, claiming they had special revelation, claiming that, you know, they had things that the church didn't know at the time. And they were probably saying things like, well, you're not a real Christian until you believe this, or you're not a real Christian until you do this. And they were spouting all sorts of heresies and false teachings. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And there's nothing worse, right, than feeling those doubts and uncertainties and unrest when when it comes to your relationship with God. And a lot of people in the church were feeling this. A lot of people were going through just that. Because the reason why this is such a tough thing to go through is because how you perceive that will not only have a huge impact on how you view God or on how you view yourself, but also in how you're able to treat others and love others as well. And I think some of us can relate to a feeling of unrest. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you've fallen into a sin uh, and you start to question whether God has kind of just left and peaced out and he's gone. Maybe you find yourself in a dry place spiritually today. And you know that you've neglected seeking him. You've neglected going to the scriptures and just spending time in prayer. And you just generally feel far from God. Maybe you do all these things and you still feel far away. I don't think any of us can deny that, you know, we've all had these moments where we just feel a little distant at times. I think of all of us who have followed God at some point in our journey, we can all relate and affirm that there are times where perhaps you felt like things were going awesome and you were excited. And uh, one of the words we would use is, you know, you just felt like everything was where it should be. But then there's times where you feel distant in our hearts. And things just aren't how you've hoped that they'd feel. In these times, we cannot simply rely on our feelings. We can't simply rely on our emotions, but we need to trust God in God and in what his word says to us. A.W. Tozer said this. Sorry, I really needed that water. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, that is a powerful statement to an extent, and I think there's some truth to it as I think about it. Tozer goes on to explain why when he says this. He says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. You see, how we see God, how we view God is of tremendous importance to how we're going to live out the mission or the message that we hear or that we want to represent God by. Let me ask you this. Have you ever in your life misunderstood someone? Anybody? 
right? You just misunderstood someone. You saw them and you thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk to this person, right? Or, or, or you barely ever spoke to them and you just thought, oh, that person's, you know, they're grumpy, they're judgmental, they do this, right? Have you ever had that person who you thought was, you know, probably somebody you didn't want to talk to, only after, you know, finally getting to meet them, you realize they're one of the kindest people you ever met? Anyone? <laughs> Have you ever felt as though people misunderstood who you were? That's, that's not fun, is it, right? I don't think any of us like it when people make all sorts of judgments about us or make all sorts of, you know, they, they place things over us that just aren't true and they would find out they weren't true if they actually spent some time with us and talked to us. You see, perception means a lot. It can change the way we look at each other. It can change how we treat each other. You see, our ability to interact affects our relationships for sure. Let me tell you a story quickly. When I was in Bible college, there was somebody in my class who I just immediately realized I don't like that person, okay? Didn't like him. Not going to say his name tonight. It wasn't you, Evan, okay? <laughs> Promise you, okay? I still like you, okay? But uh, there was a gentleman in my class who I did not like, and everything this person did annoyed me and frustrated me, and I felt like this person looked down on me because I was younger and they were older, right? And uh, they probably, like, you know, looked down on me like, what are you doing here? Do you, like, you know, are, are you even supposed to be here? I, I just, there was a whole cloud of judgment that I put on this person probably, and I just didn't like them. And in the midst of that, I'm studying the Bible, I'm reading scriptures about loving one another, <laughs> loving your enemies, loving those who you don't even want to love, right? And so I had this idea that, you know, I got to start praying for this person because I need my heart to change here. And so I started praying for them. And immediately when I started praying for them, I'm not going to lie to you, the prayers probably weren't that sincere, okay? I was probably, you know, just forcing the words out of my mouth. Lord, bless them. Lord, take care of them. Lord, bless their family. Lord, you know, look out for them. And, and, and prayers like that, you know, I, I just immediately felt like because of the way I felt towards this person, I need to start praying. And before you know it, as time went on, the prayers became easier, and long story short, by the time we graduated in my fourth year, there probably wasn't another person in my class that I respected more than this person. Except Evan, of course, right? But it's true. And it was an interesting process that God took me through. I can't even explain to you how that happened. I just started praying for them. I just started praying good things over them. And before you know it, we came together, we became buddies, we, we, we studied together, we debated together. It was a ton of fun. But it's easy sometimes to, to misunderstand someone. It's another thing to also um, judge or have misconceptions about somebody, right? We're close enough to Christmas that I could put this picture on the screen, okay? But how many of you remember this guy, right? There's a movie called I'm alone. There you go, right? And this gentleman, apparently, according to all the kids on the block, was a murderer, right? And uh, a slayer, if you will. And, uh, you know, honestly, walking around with a can like that full of salt and spreading it everywhere probably doesn't help, you know, the initial and first impressions, right? But uh, the talk was that this guy was a bad guy. This was someone you avoided. This was someone that you wouldn't have anything to do with. Um, the main character, Kevin, when he encountered this guy for the first time, started screaming. Actually, I think he stole a toothbrush. But anyways, I'm not going to get into the details too much, okay? But, uh, you know, first impressions from the outside, you can kind of miss who somebody is on the inside or, or as a whole. And later on in the movie, we find out that this guy is probably one of the kindest guys on the street. 
He ends up helping the main character, Kevin, ends up looking out for him, ends up giving him good advice. And uh, it's really easy sometimes to misunderstand somebody or to misconceive if we're not willing to get to know someone. And when I tie this to our relationship with God, if having a proper and true understanding of who we are is important to our relationships with each other, how much more important is it that we understand who God is? if we're gonna have a proper relationship with him. You see, someone once told me something that's always stuck with me. They said that the Jesus that you see will very much determine the Christian that you'll be. The Jesus that you see will very much determine the type of Christian that you'll be. If you see Jesus as somebody judging or poking fun or, or who's tough on you or who's angry at you, uh, there's a chance you might also live that way. The Jesus that you see very much determines the type of Christian that you'll be because we become like the one we behold. And misconceptions, especially when it comes to God, can be very harmful to our life of faith. You see, growing up, I had no concept of grace and mercy. As a teenager, I tried going to church a few times, and I think I went off to a camp and said a prayer at an altar, right? And uh, came back to town, and that, that, I wasn't very good at living that out. And I remember beating myself up about it and just quitting and just thinking, well, this isn't who I am. This isn't something I can live out. This isn't something that I could fit into. I thought, you know, living for God was like this checklist, doing enough good so that hopefully he won't remember all the bad, and maybe he just won't be mad at me. I thought surely God was angry with most of us, me for sure. And having that kind of mindset or misconception of, of God really hindered my ability to be able to serve him, to be able to live with him. I read a book in my second year of college called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, and that was so helpful for me in my journey. It was the first time I ever started to consider these kind of ideas. I even went through a whole year of college living like this. But once I recognized God for the loving God that he is, it became much easier to walk with him. It became so much easier to live for him. And so what are some of the ways that we skew our view of God? Do we ever sometimes treat God like just an authority figure, right? Like, you know, like the cop kind of hiding around the corner when you're probably speeding, which none of us do, right? We, 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 we don't try to do that. But, you know, I, I don't know about you sometimes, but when I'm on the road, especially driving you know, into the city, uh, and I see a cop, the first thing I look at is that speedometer, right? Like, just make sure I'm going right. And there's this idea of just not wanting to get caught doing something. I wonder if some of us treat God like that sometimes because of our guilt. I wonder if we sometimes see God as like an angry old man or something who's just looking to to kind of, you know, tell us what we're doing isn't right. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we see God as a sweet old man <laughs> who, who, who surely can't be in touch with what's happening in 2022. And so we just sort of, you know, think that we can kind of get things by God without him really ever noticing, but he sees everything. Maybe we treat him like a sports scout who you need to impress enough to receive good things. I think we all probably have some areas where we have gone this way. Growing up, I used to think my relationship or love for God was dependent solely upon what I do. And as I matured, I realized his love for me was fully there even despite what I do. Even despite what I did, I could do nothing to make him love me more or make him love me less. 
Does that mean I don't care about how I live then and I just kind of go on and do whatever I want? No, definitely not. I make it my aim to please him, but it reminds me that God's love and his acceptance of me isn't flippant. It's not conditional. It's not conditional based on what I can muster up. And in the end, it has nothing to do with my works or my lack of works, but my identity is in him and in who he is to me. And the scriptures tell us who he is to us. You see, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, this is why I'm talking about this. It says, if our hearts condemn us, I'm sure some of us have had that feeling where you feel like your heart is just condemning you and you just, you're heaping on yourself. You're not giving yourself a break. But the scriptures say, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And so our view of God is so important because if our view of him is improper, if it's misguided, then the more devoted we are to this wrong view of who we think God is, then the worse off we're going to be. Worse off in our service to him, worse off in walking with him, and probably worse off in how we treat the people around us. You see, this whole section that we find ourselves in, in the book of 1 John, started out with us having the word confidence at Jesus' return, at Christ's coming back. And confidence is a good thing when we have it in the right thing. And what I mean by that is that we are not going to be able to say to Jesus when we return, Oh God, look at all my accomplishments. Look at all these nice things I bought. God, check out my account. Check out what I've done. Check this out. And, and as if we're going to impress him by little things that we've accomplished. Now, don't get me wrong. Hard work, etc. is a very good thing, but not something we place our eternal confidence in. But we find our confidence in him and in him alone. And we can stand in his grace by faith. You see, in these times, the false teachers were overconfident in themselves. And they thought of themselves way too highly. And they thought they had this special revelation and this hold on truth and, and to the way of living out God, the life God has for us. But they were misguided. And they had a misplaced confidence. God desires for you and me, church, as his children, not to put our confidence in ourselves, but to put our confidence in him and in who he is, and in what he has done. Because the human heart is easily shaken. The human heart is easily deceived. And so what, or perhaps better, who do you place your confidence in? You see, sometimes you have to put your faith not in what your heart is saying, or in what your mind is telling you, because we've all gone through moments like this. You know, we've all heard that voice of condemnation or that, that voice of guilt or doubt, and we don't place our faith in that or what we think, but we place our faith in God and in his word and what he says about us, amen? And so what do the scriptures say about you? What do the scriptures say about us? Let me just give a few examples here tonight of some of the things that scripture says. John 5 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life, and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. How many of you are appreciative of that? Anyone? 
A few of us are, right? Come on, okay? It's a good thing. It's a good scripture. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Thank you. Come on. <laughs> Let's go here. Titus 3.5, He saved us not because of righteous or good things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this one. This one's always an encouragement to me. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when you feel that condemning voice coming at you, you feel that condemning coming into your heart, that's not God. No, that's not God, okay? John chapter 3, verse 16, one of the more popular verses in Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one, sent his one and only Son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The verse after it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And it's not that Jesus was coming down to the earth to tell you how bad you were, okay? But rather to show you how good he is and how much he loves you. And in turn, it reveals how much you and I need him. Being a child of God does not start with you. It starts with him. God so loved you that he chose you and reached out to you because of his love. And so if this is true, then we need to stop overanalyzing sometimes. Stop letting the things around us or even the things we do sometimes define us. Okay? But rather let God define who you are to him. And God's love in us is brought into completion, the scripture says, when we love each other. And so does your heart ever need reassurance? Have you ever questioned whether or not God loved you or whether you were, you were saved or asked questions like that, whether God could actually forgive you? Why do I keep struggling with this? You ever ask those questions? Why, why, why can't I just seem to get over this? Well, God, just forget about me. You see, sometimes our hearts feel condemned, and so we judge it as bad. And we think to ourselves, how can God love me? But who would you rather trust? Would you rather trust your own heart, or would you rather put your trust in God himself? You see, we know our hearts are often misguided. We know our hearts are influenced by a sinful nature. That's why the writer of John says that God's greater than our hearts. He's greater than my feelings of inadequacy. He's greater than my doubts. He's greater than all the things that I get caught up in. God is bigger even than our insecurities, church. I loved you so much, God says, that I gave myself for you. And his mercy and grace and patience is greater than anything, even those little condemnations that come from our own hearts. You see, Maybe you've been shying away from God in your own heart. You see, when Adam and Eve, th th this is something that happened very early in Scripture. The minute they, eat that, they ate that piece of fruit, um, they knew they did something wrong, and their eyes were opened. And the next thing you read is Scripture says they hid, right? They hid in the garden, and they started covering up, right? Covering up in all sorts of ways. And, and, and sometimes I wonder if, if that wasn't just them. Sometimes I wonder if we still experience that from time to time. We don't feel that confidence to go before God. We feel like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just going to hide. It's too much for him. It's not too much for him. 
You see, John is telling us then and now that we can have assurance and confidence because of who he is and not because of our heart's feeling in the moment. We're God's children and we should enjoy the fellowship, peace, and acceptance we have because of his great love, because of what he's done for us. And so when your heart doubts, and it will, it will sometimes, don't trust it. Don't put your faith in that alone. Trust him. Trust who he is. And sometimes I think that's an act of faith because you're not going to feel like doing that in that moment. You know, I think of Peter who denied Jesus three times. Like imagine like how awkward that meeting must have had to have been to see him, you know, face to face a few days later after claiming you'd have never done such a thing. In John 21 and verse 17, we read this. We read, it says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is Jesus asking Peter this question. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Peter couldn't explain his actions or express his sorrow. But Peter found rest in the fact that Jesus knew everything. Lord, you know everything. You know all things. You know everything, everything about me, good, bad, I can't hide anything from you. And yet you still love me. And yet you've still accepted me. And yet Jesus is still going to take him back and use him in a powerful way. You see, in a lot of ways, we, we're, we're trained sometimes to put on a front and hide who we are sometimes. In order to impress or in order to, to feel like we can get loved we just think that if we act a certain way, wear the right clothes, own the right things, then people will love us. And so we, we have this idea, and yet this is not how our relationship with God works. God knowing everything, everything, he still loves you. He still loves me. He knows the good. He knows the bad. <laughs> he knows the ugly. He knows all the times you've failed, all the times you've missed the mark, all the times you've been disappointed, and yet he still loves you. He still loves us. Dear friends, verse 21, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We can have confidence before him. We go from trusting our heart and feeling condemned and instead trusting who God is, knowing that he's bigger than our hearts, that he's greater than our hearts. We go from fear to faith. When Jesus died for you on the cross, he paid for all your sin, past, present, future, taking your shame away. And the Bible says we can approach God with confidence. We don't have to hide. We don't have to cover up. We don't have to do anything like per se. We just approach him. We can go to him. And so in verse 22, the text tells us we can approach God confidently. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says it like this. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you find yourself in need today in any way, maybe you're struggling to feel confident and maybe you feel your heart condemning you. The good news is that you can approach God with confidence, the scriptures say, because you can receive mercy. You will receive grace to help you in your time of need. 1 John 3 again. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And these are the marks that reveal that God lives in you, John goes on to say. You know that God is in you and you in him if you love one another. This is an action that sets you apart from the rest of the world. And by this, you can know whose you are. 
And as Christians, we do not get to choose who we love. We don't get to choose who we love. Jesus has not left that decision open to us in this equation. You see, loving others isn't just based on them loving us. How many of you know it's so much more easier to love people who are kind to you, right? <laughs> who love you and, you know, who are there for you? So much easier, right? But Jesus doesn't leave that up to us. We don't love others just because they love us or just because they agree with us or they have similar ideals or they similar ideas or similar opinions as we do. Or loving us back even when we don't love others just because we think we deserve it, right? This love that God asks of us goes so much deeper than simply wanting something. We give something to other people. It's based on how God has treated you and loved you. You see, we don't deserve the grace and love of God. In many ways, we, are, we on our own are the exact opposite sometimes of him and of his will and his desires. And yet he loves us anyway. Grace is truly unmerited favor. This outward action of loving one another reflects the inward reality of being a new creation, of being God's child. You see, John tells us as believers two things we need to keep on doing. Keep your faith in Jesus. Keep trusting him. Believe in him. And love people. And it's amazing how he ties this all together in this portion. Because often again, how we see and view God has a direct influence on how we live for God. And on how we treat each other. Jesus gives us a good example of this. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus asks a question. Now think about this. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? A snake's negative here, just in case you like snakes, okay? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. A lot of us know that last verse as what some people call the golden rule. Do unto others, right? And so Jesus gives us this visual illustration of the Father and how he deals with us. And ends with, with what has become known as what I just said, the golden rule. Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. Treat others how you would want them to treat you. You see, it's not repay others bad for bad. He didn't say that, right? He didn't say just repay others good for good, but literally go out of your way to give them the treatment that you would actually want them to give you. And do this whether they return the favor or not. It's a tough call. In our understanding of God, this is what I want us to, to take here today. Our understanding of God will be crucial to our ability to live this out, okay? It'll be crucial to our ability to walk this out because the way that we interact with each other is deeply reflective of how we understand God. And how we understand God is often shaped and informed by how we engage each other. In Matthew chapter 7, 9, Jesus asks the question, which one of you, if your kid asks for bread, would just give them a stone? That would have been a very, very, very negative and bad response. Oh, could I have bread? Oh, how about a stone? Chew that down, right? Not so much. Which one of you, if your kid asks for 
fish would give him a snake. If you know not to do this, well then how much more does your heavenly father know not to do this? You wouldn't do that, he says. Do you think God would do that? And so what do you think about God? Because in large measure, what you believe about God and what he's like will deeply shape how you interact with other people. If you believe that God continues to hand you stones when you ask him for bread, that will deeply shape what you also hand to people around you. Do you have a deep, deep sense that God has given you a stone when you've asked him for bread? Because until you deal with that and allow God to move in your heart on that area, you'll struggle with how you relate to other people, I imagine. Think about it. Think about it this way, okay? Do you know anybody who's profoundly generous, okay? Where it literally pours out of them who deeply believes that God has just given them stones. Anyone? Do you know anybody who does in fact believe that God has only given them stones? I can guarantee you that that's probably not a person going around passing out bread to people. It's very hard to be that kind of person when you have that understanding of God. How we view God and how we understand him deeply affects what we can pass on to each other. Amen? You with me? If I believe God's blessed me, if I believe God's given me second chances when I don't deserve them, thousandth chances when I don't deserve them, if I believe that God cares for me, he's looking out for me, he wants what's best for me, you know, if I believe that God, you know, has, has given me things that I don't deserve, things I've never, ever, ever deserved, that's going to influence how I probably, or it should influence how I deal with other people. But if I only see God as a withholder, if I only see God as somebody who, you know, only, you know, w wants to get me in trouble or who's angry with me or who's upset with me, it's going to really have a profound effect on how I behave and how I treat other people. So three takeaways tonight. Number one, God doesn't condemn you. So you need not condemn yourself. God doesn't condemn you, so do not condemn yourself. You see, for some of us, this is all you need to hear today. <laughs> this is all you need to hear. You need to be reminded that God's love was never based on what you can do anyways. That he died for you, regardless of whether you did anything. None of us deserve his grace, but his grace and his love are amazing to us. Amen? And so maybe you need to hear, thanks Paul, God doesn't condemn you, so you need not condemn yourself. Number two, believe in Jesus. Trust that he is good and enough. Maybe for some, you know, you just know that you need to believe in and put your trust in Christ. And maybe you need to begin a relationship with him. Maybe you need to recognize um, that, you know, now is the time to commit to him and to look to him. And if that's you, it's as simple as coming before him and just admitting you're wrong, admitting you've fallen short, asking for his forgiveness, asking for him to come into your heart and, and just to lead you in life and just to walk with you. Believe in Jesus and trust that he's good, church. And number three, our view of God deeply shapes how we see ourselves and those around us. 
we still have this command and responsibility to love one another. And for some of us, we need to correct our view of God and make sure we don't get it from our heart or our emotions or maybe some bad teaching you got when you were growing up or maybe some preacher who liked to yell at you and scared the hell out of you, right? And, uh, you know, you got to make sure that you're not taking it from that, but that you're taking it from the scriptures, that you're finding out what the word says about who God is. Because how we see God, it does have a direct influence on how we can live for him. And in turn, how we will treat one another. And so I'm going to take a minute here and just be quiet. Some of you are like perfect. I'm going to take a minute and just be quiet here. And we're going to have what the Psalms call a salah moment. Just a pause, a reflect, and a praise moment. I'm literally going to be quiet for one minute. Let's just take a moment. Maybe you haven't talked to God in a while. Maybe you need to say, hey. Maybe you need to just hear that he loves you tonight. Just take a moment. Bask in it, and then I'm going to end this off with a prayer. Thank you that you love us so much, that you sent Jesus. And that, Lord, your love for us isn't conditional. It's not based on anything we bring to the table, based on your goodness and on who you are. And so thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us at our worst, Lord. Thank you, God, that uh, because you've loved us, Lord God, we can be empowered also to love people as well. And so help us, Lord. God, we're just living in times where it's easy to divide, it's easy to fight, it's easy just to want to be right all the time, God. Lord, thank you that you've loved us, Lord God, despite whether we were ever right or wrong. And I pray, God, that you would just do something in my heart and the heart of each person here. Lord, draw us closer to you. Help us to see you for who you really are in a greater way. And in turn, Lord, thank you, God, that you have blessed us, that you have shown us your grace. Help us to go into our world and do the same. Empower us, strengthen us. Lord, we don't always want to. I pray, God, that you would just change our heart's desire and make it more like yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.